Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 2030th day of January 2024. I'm Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter Podcast. Welcome to it. Thanks for downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast, where you can send me condolence messages about the Detroit Lions. Enter to win a Buzz Aldrin autographed book, etc., etc., the Week in F and Review and all. I'll get to the Lions stuff in a bit if I feel like it. It's more of a Week in F and Review thing. But anyway, let us get started. There is a lot of other stuff going on, a whole bunch of things happening in the world. We're sitting there and you'll hear a whole bunch of the uh, talking heads and intelligentsia talking about the prospect of World War Three. World War Three. Now, I'm going to sound like a horrible warmonger here just because... Honestly, I don't know what else to do, and it's what I genuinely think. But uh, three American troops were killed over the weekend in an attack, essentially by Iran. Let's be honest, that's what it was. That's who did it. And we're just going to let them, or are we just going to let them get away with it? I guess would be the, the question to answer. I realize that Tucker Carlson is wildly popular and Tucker Carlson is wildly anti-war under any and all circumstances. It's, I suppose, a principled stance. But sooner or later, at some point, depending on what's going on in the world, war is, is necessary. It's a necessary evil. That phrase exists for a reason. And it being a necessary evil, there's not much... There are a few times where it, that's best illustrated than when Americans are killed. You can sit there and you can say, and we heard this all the time, there's a genocide going on in Rwanda, for example. We need to get involved and stop that. And uh, there's an argument for it on humanitarian grounds, but we shouldn't just act on humanitarian grounds. If we did just act on humanitarian grounds, we'd be a mess. It'd be a disaster. It'd be horrible. So there has to be a, a national interest as well. I'm not saying do nothing. I'm not saying, well, don't ch- stop weapons or anything like that. At a certain point, people do have to handle their own business. Countries, populations do have to handle their own business. But when it comes to Americans being attacked, that is handling our own business. So this drone attack is something very serious. It's an escalation on behalf of Iran. And nothing happens with any of these proxies that Iran doesn't allow for, that Iran doesn't sponsor, pay for, encourage, allow to happen. For those of you who don't know, the Associated this, this story is everywhere, but the Associated Press story... President Joe Biden said Sunday that the U.S., quote, shall respond after three American troops were killed and dozens more were injured in an overnight drone strike in northeast Jordan near the Syrian border. Biden blamed Iran-backed militias for the U.S. fatalities after months of strikes by such groups against American forces across the Middle East since the start of the Israel-Hamas war. 
We've been attacked more than like 150 times. Our troops have, our interests have, our ships have in the Red Sea. It has been uh, slapping them down. The Biden administration has been slapping them down, and that's fine, although I support it and still support the idea of somebody hit you, you hit them back much harder. And um, <clears throat> you should have gone after these people much more severely than we did, bombing their supply chains and bombing their storage. It's all fine, well and good. Maybe you do that the first time. But I think at a certain point, you look at them and you say, all right, we do know where you sleep. And we're going to bomb that. Or we'll find where you sleep and we're going to bomb that. And bomb, they don't all sleep together, all these Houthi leaders. Bomb them, kill some of them and say, you know what? You want the rest of you guys to uh, to be blown to bits? Keep doing what you're doing. You don't want that. Because it's amazing. All these people are like, oh, no, I uh, I support that we embrace death. We the People who say they embrace death, you ever notice they're still alive? It's the damnedest thing. The people who speak the loudest about embracing death do the most to stay alive of anybody. Osama bin Laden, remember, we, we, you love life, we love death. Huh? Well, you, you, the only time you left your house for like the last eight years of your life, you were dressed as a woman, you uh, hid yourself in a, a house in Pakistan outside of a Badabad, and you just lived as a hermit, and when occasionally when you went out, you dressed as a woman. Huh, that you, doesn't really sound to me like you're embracing death. Doesn't really even sound to me like you're willing to give the finger to death quickly and then put it back down under your burqa. The recruiters, the leadership, it's always coming from the leadership. We embrace, bre embrace it. You know, you embrace somebody else's death. You're perfect. Everybody is, they're, everybody would throw somebody else on a grenade. <laughs> Very few people would jump on the grenade themselves. That's the difference. So you need to call these people out on this. Invite them to embrace death. Now, all right, remind them that you can make literal their rhetorical flourishes and see if that influences behavior. If it doesn't, it might not. If it does not, then you kill as many of them as you possibly can. That's the point of the military. As Rush Limbaugh used to say, the point of the military is to kill people and break things, not to nation build, not to win over hearts and minds, not to do anything. It is to make people realize that taking on the United States of America and killing Americans, targeting American interests, not a growth industry. Unfortunately, it is a growth industry in this part of the world because far too many years, for far too many years, through far too many administrations, there has been a fecklessness in the face of attacks. And I hate to say it, but it started with Ronald Reagan and the bombing of the Marine barracks in Lebanon back in 1982 or whatever it was. The response was not to go, all right, you're, we're, we're going to send you to hell. We're going to hunt you down for the... It was to pull the troops out of Lebanon. That sent a message that this sort of stuff actually works. And look, I'm not saying we should keep throwing good soldiers after bad onto, you know, the ash heap of history, onto the fires, onto the whatever. You don't sacrifice them, but you can't turn tail 
and run. Look at what we did in Afghanistan. We were turn tailing and running and they hit us. And we said, okay, well, we better get out of here faster then. And we left thousands of people behind. We just grabbed anybody. Anybody who made it to the airport got on a plane, got out of there. We didn't vet them. The Biden administration said, it's the most historic evacuation forever. Now, if you're uh, if you're evacuating Taliban to the United States, if you are providing them with the transportation to go where they would desperately want to go in order to continue their globalist jihad, I'm not really sure that's a moral victory or a genuine victory. I think that's more of a problem. Call me old-fashioned, call me crazy, but I think that's more of a problem. So as you look at what's going on in the world, keep in mind the big picture of things. It matters. The whole thing matters. And you have... Some senators, Republican senators, pointing out that we can't just allow Iran or Iran proxies to kill Americans. You absolutely should not stand for that. There has to be punishment for that. You want to bomb the Houthis? Oh, okay. Okay, fine. But if you want something else... You're going to have to pony up. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have, if you don't want this to continue, the easiest way to stop it is to make the perpetrators aware of the fact that you will not tolerate it under any circumstances. Make them pay. Exact a price. Senator Lindsey Graham, upon the news of this attack, tweeted out, hit Iran now, hit them hard. Senator John Cornyn of Texas tweeted out, target Tehran. To which Tucker Carlson screen captured both and called them effing lunatics there's really almost nothing except if you if you impacted the uh, fly fishing industry that tucker would honestly go to war for it's admirable he's a pacifist in a way but the idea that there is no circumstance especially this one where americans were targets not an oh an errant missile they were going for something else they were going for the uh, the cow's milk depot over there and they accidentally killed them hey it's too bad that's not it these americans were targeted and that there would be no price exacted for that what does it do it only invites more it only invites more if you don't establish a firm line and actually hold that line then there is no line and people, bad people, largely, will do their best to try and find that line. Or at least walk, they go this far, and they go, there's no response. Or at least no real response. Well, that means we can go further. And they go a little further. Uh, now they've been attacking U.S. shipping. They've been firing at random U.S. military interests and ships in the, in the Red Sea and whatever. But this is, it's an American. Americans are stationed here in Jordan. They knew what they were bombing. There's something you launch at a you launch a small explosive at a large battleship. It's not fun. People don't recommend it. But it is not. It's like uh, throwing a, a hand. It's like firing a uh, a twenty two at I don't know the International Space Station. Firing a twenty two at a seven fifty seven at altitude yeah you shouldn't do it 
It's not pleasant. The people on board, if they're aware of it, certainly don't want it. But even if it's not going to reach it, or if it did, it wouldn't make any noticeable damage. Like discover it on the ground, going, oh my God, what is this? But this is not that. That's what they were doing in the uh, the Red Sea. This was, there are Americans, let's bomb them. Injured a bunch, killed three, at least three so far. Who knows if any else will so- come to their injuries. There has to be a price paid for that or you'll get more of it. So, look, I, I like Tucker. I like Tucker a lot. But there is a... Uh, a strain of populism that I don't particularly view as a thinking strain. It's more of an emotional, it's more of an immediate response. I know, that's horrible. Are you calling Tucker non-thinking? On matters like this, yeah, a little bit. Calling all those people who are like, we can't do any, what, what do you want to go to war with? These are warmongers. These people are crazy. Okay, it, we're at war, okay? Pert- getting punched in the face and pretending you're not being punched at the fa- in the face does not make you not being punched in the face. Do you understand that? It's you're being punched in the damn face. Now, I get it. Joe Biden is president. Don't trust blah, blah, blah. You only have one president at a time. You have to deal with reality as it presents itself to you. That's just the way of the world. Period. End of story. You have to have faith in our, I mean, for God's sakes, we spend more than, you know, everybody else in the world combined on our military. If we cannot take on Iran, especially now before they develop a nuclear weapon, which they're feverishly working towards and desperate to do, and with the help of the Obama administration and the Biden administration, they're inching closer, closer every day. If we can't take them on before they go nuclear, we are screwed when they do. If they're willing to do this before they go nuclear, if they're comfortable enough in the knowledge that we won't do anything except a limp-wristed slap on the hand, then we are screwed when they go nuclear. We are. Well, other countries in the area. Israel has nukes. Nobody really believes Israel is going to just go off half-cocked one day. There is no tenant in the Jewish faith that says, kill them all. Blow any means necessary. Kill the infidels. That's a different religion. It's a religion that you know throws people off the roofs of their uh, of buildings because they're gay. A religion that beats women to death because they didn't cover their heads. It's a strain of and that's what they do in Iran. They have the religious police. They beat the hell out of one. You didn't cover your head. To which I would say, you know, why didn't God make women with head covers? Was God, did God make a mistake when he made women? That's just a general question. If it took something human beings developed well after our species existed for a very long time, clothing, to say, all right, women, they've been bugging me. I, I meant to have them have a head covering, a cloth, cover their, you know, just an eye slot. That's it. And I just didn't do it. If it bothered them so much, couldn't God have created fabric before fabric was created? Couldn't he, since God is all-powerful, have created women pre-covered or make them come with covers? 
all of these things. You're going to empower that? You're going to bow to that? You're going to kowtow to that? And I know that the populists who take this week's... It's not all populists. Trump bombed the hell out of Suleimani. I think he would go after Iran. But the people who say, uh, you know, they're effing lunatics. What do you want? World War Three? They're the ones who inevitably will say, well, are you going to sign up? Are you going to volunteer to go? Are you going to volunteer to serve? Are you going to be over there? Are you going to? No. No. No, my knees are too bad and I'm too old for that. But I would ask you and turn it back on you. Okay, you don't want to go to war. So does that mean that you're volunteering to be the next sacrificial lamb to die in one of their attacks? Can we protect other people? Can we can we swap out other people for you? Will you volunteer to be on the next ship attacked? To be at the next base attacked? To be at the next pub or restaurant and anywhere in the world that is attacked? Can we do that? Will you be willing to make that sacrifice? Because we have civilian control of the military to be president of the United States. You do not need to have served. In the military, it's one of the things that makes this country great, is that, that separation and civilian control of the military. So to say, are you going to volunteer? Are you going to volunteer? No. The military exists to serve the national interests of the United States of America. Now, if you don't think that Americans being killed by a foreign power is preventing that and punishing people who do that is in the interests of the, the American people and the American government and America itself, you and I differ. But if you want to play the are you going to volunteer card, are you going to volunteer? Are you going to volunteer? I'm sure there are plenty of places over there that would happily have all of these people congregate. We could put a little pen up somewhere, build a nice little city, and then say, all right, we want to hit back. You can go ahead. You can hit this city. Randomly, don't level the whole thing at once. Don't get selfish, but just randomly lob some, some things into it. They don't seem to like Israel very much defending itself either. So, you know, just launch random rockets in there. We'll have an alarm system. Maybe we'll even give them some missile defense. But go ahead. How many volunteers do you think we'll get? Because we have an all-volunteer military. They all signed up. Yeah, you get the occasional person going, I didn't sign up for this. But then you have to ask them what they actually signed up for. And it's always, I just wanted free college. I didn't want to actually do anything. Well, that's part of the deal. Sorry. If we don't act in our national interest, there sure as hell isn't anybody else on the planet who's going to. Now, I know Tucker. I know Tucker. I, I can't believe Tucker actually tweeted this. The effing lunatics. I don't know that Tucker has access to his own Twitter account. I assume it's on his phone, but he doesn't really use it. But they wouldn't have sent it out without his approval, I don't think. And it's still, well, Tucker, if somebody had even done that, he probably would say never take it down. But it's definitely the sentiment that Tucker has expressed. You watch all of these people and they're like, well, you can't go possibly. We could. We absolutely could. At a minimum, we need to at least project to these lunatic regimes across the country that you're damn right we're going to come after you. If there's no price to be paid for going after Americans, then why the hell wouldn't everybody go after Americans? But instead, he's like, no, no, geez, sorry. You punched me right in the face there. Is your hand all right, mister? Is your hand okay? 
Can I get you some ice for the hand that you just broke my nose with? Is there something I can do to make your life more comfortable? What in the hell do you think that invites on the world stage? The world is a dangerous place. And I know that progressives and, and populists, some populists, a strain of populism, a very weird strain of populism, uh, there, there is a, well, it's the United States, we're out there asking for it. I'll never forget after 9-11. This is the same mentality. I just didn't think it would spread to the, the right. Although it's not really conservatives, it's mostly libertarians. There, there was this. There was a girl that lived in my neighborhood. I lived in uh, the Mount Vernon area of Baltimore. I was like three blocks from the Washington Monument, Chase and St. Paul. And my friend at the time lived, you know, had lived at the mon, like on the Monument Park, one of the rural houses there. He had an apartment in there, and he'd he'd since moved back to Detroit but I inherited some friends. And one of them was a, a woman who lived in his building. Very nice. She was, God, I think she was a nursing student. Something to do with medicine here at Hopkins. And um, after 9-11, 9-11 was a Tuesday. By that Friday, I spent most of my time that week online with dial-up. I don't even remember who my internet service provider was through. It wasn't AOL, but it was through somebody. And I uh, I was on the AOL Instant Messenger, which was awesome. Man, that was the greatest technology in the world. I can't believe that thing is gone. But I'd sat there and I'm chatting with people and everything. My phone line was always busy because I was doing the chat. And this woman and I were chatting and she started going down the road of, well, what do you expect with our foreign policy? And this is what you get when you do this. And we shouldn't have had. It was basically the, the line of Al-Qaeda. Well, we have to attack these infidels because they are in Saudi Arabia, the Holy Land. They have no business being in Saudi Arabia, the Holy Land, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? And we, we got into it. And that was it. That was the last time I ever spoke to her. It's like, I can't, what's, what's wrong? It took four days for her to do that. Four days. And I thought, that seems a bit excessive. Now, that's 3,000 dead Americans four days. This is three dead Americans, like, later that day or the next day. But this sentiment has, I wouldn't say it's spread up, I think, if they had sped up. I'd say if they'd killed, you know, four, four or 5,000 Americans, they, they might have waited a week. But the sentiment has metastasized from the left, and this, this nursing student was of the left, make no mistake about it. And uh, it took, you know, it metastasized from the radical fringe left to almost the entirety of the Democratic Party, to now some people who nominally vote Republican who are mostly libertarian. At a certain point, it's going to really do us harm. It's going to move from the theoretical and rhetorical to the practical, to the real world. And it's going to be a problem. These are people, by the way, a lot of these people didn't have a problem with Donald Trump killing Suleimani. They shouldn't have had a problem with it. So I don't have a problem with it. I thought it was a good one less terrorist in the world. Well, you're just somebody else is going to replace him. Yeah, they will. 
kill them too if you have to. Uh, if they start attacking Americans, we attack back. That's it. That mentality shouldn't change. If you were fine with killing of Suleimani, you should be fine with some form of massive retaliation here. Because sooner or later, Iran, if we... I would be in favor of, and this is going to be very controversial, I would be in favor of attacking Iran, not invading Iran, but certainly doing enough damage to Iran that maybe the people of Iran who don't appreciate living with the uh, clerical boot on their necks had the ability to rise up at that point and maybe do something and then possibly supporting those people to stand for the people forget before 1979 Iran was a really modern state in the Middle East it's only digressed to the stone age after the revolution after the ayatollah go look for pictures search pictures of Iran from the 60s and 70s and you would think is that where is that could be any American city those people still exist those people still remember those people still want their kids to live free but if they were to say it, they get killed. So some strategic strikes against the government of Iran timed with maybe some of the groups inside Iran could make a huge difference. But if you just say, well, no, never. You're a warmonger. Well, I don't know whose side you're really on at that point. I do want to play you a clip of the uh, president of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden, talking about Iran and their proxies from just 17 days ago. 17 days. Now, this is. <laughs> believe it or not, Joe Biden was uh, not in the White House. He was I don't know if you can call it a vacation at this point. I think being at the White House is more of a vacation. But 17 days ago, he was somewhere. We're at a coffee shop either in Delaware, who knows? You can't keep some campaign event. He wasn't at the White House, though. So it's not like the sound is all that great, but it's a very short clip from 17 days ago where he says that he's made it clear to Iran that they need to watch themselves. Like, I don't know, it lasted seven, it actually didn't last 17 days. The Houthis were still attacking. Now, keep in mind, it's not directly the Iranian military attacking. It is the people that are being directed by the military of Iran, the Houthis. It is the, uh, you hear them referred to sometimes as freedom fighters. That kind of lets you know who you're, they're terrorists. Um, but they, um, they're referred to as freedom fighters, and they have been attacking American interests nonstop. The Biden administration claims, the president claims, he talked tough with him just 17 days ago, to which, given the news over the weekend, I would ask, how did that work out for you? Listen to the president. I've already delivered the message to Rand. They know I'm not to do anything. We will make sure that we respond to the Houthis as they continue this outrageous behavior, along with our allies. Why does he sound like he's drunk all the time? Like, well, and he's not screaming. Well, even actually, when he's screaming and yelling, I have some clip of him screaming and yelling in a bit. But he, he's a teetotaler, 
Which again, he sounds like somebody. Frankly, he sounds like Hunter. There's something there about the way that somebody who did a lot of drugs, did a lot of drinking. Sound, look, I did a lot of drinking in my my time, but I also did a lot, a lot, a lot of not drinking. That was a good three year stretch where me and my friends were out almost every night. But there were uh, other stretches where it's just like, all right, they got to work in the morning. I've got to do this or whatever, or I just don't feel like it. There are some people who just power through it, and they eventually quit or die but when they quit and you can see this a lot in rock stars where they just have this permanent part of their speech that sounds like they're wasted right it just sounds like they're hammered you're like how the hell why do you sound like you're hammered maybe because they did some brain damage he joe biden is a not a super famous but well-known teetotaler which makes, you know, what his kids became or what he helped turn his kids into all the more ironic. But that means that this decline, because if you go find any clip from Joe Biden from 10 years ago, he doesn't sound like this. Hell, five years ago, he doesn't sound like this. But now he sounds like this. And he's in the middle of it. We're having a serious discussion about Iran. Wait, hold on a second. He's got to go get sugar for his coffee or whatever. Like, dude. I realize that you got to get sugar for your coffee or at this photo op thing, but I don't know. You could maybe take this discussion a little more seriously and hold off on the sugar for a second. Do you really need to get, you're not going to drink your coffee while you're in the middle of the discussion. So maybe you could wait on the sugar for a second. But he says, I, 17, I told, I told Iran not to do anything. How did that work out? How did that work out? As we're watching this situation, who knows what will happen? The president has said that he will respond, but this is as uh, this is as telegraphed a punch as the sun rising in the east in the morning. There should have been contingencies in place, plans ready to go from the get-go, from the jump on this thing. If this, then that. If this, then that. If this happens, give us some targets so that if Iran or Iran's proxies attack us, we can bomb. Have them ready to go. You don't say, we're going to respond. I'm going to convene a blue ribbon commission to get together and discuss the ways in which we should respond. All you're doing is telling Iran something's coming. Move vital things around. Make sure vital people are not anywhere where they can be found. You're giving them notice. As soon as this happened, we knew who did it. As soon as this happened, there could have and should have been a response. It, that would have had teeth. If you caught them off guard, like, oh my God, that was fast. I didn't expect, I thought that they'd think about it for a minute. I thought they'd have to investigate it. If you catch them with their pants down, you can get a lot more bang for your buck, if you will. But telegraphing a punch like this is just inviting them to guard against it to begin with. They know what we know what their targets are, what their ideal targets are. They know what their ideal targets are. They're evil. They're not stupid. So now they can harden those targets or they can move those targets. They can conflate that. And why you think, well, we'll find them. We'll find. We do have sources inside of Iran, but not many. 
how reliable they are is a matter for debate, and I suppose something that we'll find out over time, and whether or not we'd actually strike inside of Iran or we just stick to Yemen remains to be seen. But the longer we take, the more we fart around on this one, the fewer the options we have. It's wildly stupid on Joe's part, which isn't all that surprising. I mean, it is Joe Biden, but I just want to point that out, that at some point, you wait too long. You end up bombing an aspirin factory. You end up bombing a tent. You end up hitting an empty building, a warehouse, where everything of value, everything of strategic value has been moved out of. You don't find that out until months or years later, but you go, oh, we bombed when we should. This factory is a munitions factory and blah, blah, blah. Okay, it took you two weeks to, uh, to go after them. They moved everything out, but that's okay. You know, they... The physical structure being destroyed, I suppose, eliminates that as a possibility of being used again in the future after the next attack, and they move things out of the building that they'd originally moved things into to get away from this attack. But, you know, they can go back, whatever. You know, congratulations, you're a super strong president or something like that. No. No, 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 no. The world would be so much better if they just listened to me, wouldn't it? I think it would. While we're talking about terrorists, just really briefly, this was just sent to my inbox from the Daily Caller News Foundation. They report federal authorities caught a terrorist at the U.S. southern border and released him into the country, where he roamed freely for nearly a year before being arrested in Minnesota just days ago, according to internal federal memo exclusively obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. Why don't you feel safer already? We're putting, I told Iran just the other day that, uh, I don't even remember, whatever. There's the president of the United States. The unnamed individual, who the memo only identifies as a member of the Somali terror group Al-Shabaab, was released shortly after being caught illegally crossing the southern border near San Ysidro, California, on March 13, 2023, according to the memo, which the Daily Caller News Foundation is not publishing in order to protect the identity of the confidential source. It's got to be somebody's name on it or some sort of watermark. The terrorist screening center, quote, deemed him a mismatch after running his name through a terror watch list, according to the memo, which was sent to Immigrations and Customs Enforcement officials. However, on January 18, 2024, the Terrorist Screening Center, quote, made a redetermination that the individual was a, quote, a confirmed member of Al-Shabaab, end quote, and was involved in the use, manufacture, or transport of explosives or firearms, the memo stated. Two days later, ICE nabbed the Al-Shabaab member in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, he's up there in Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's the home of Ilhan Omar. Wait a second. Did he have a hot date planned? Oh, she's married. There. Yeah, I know. She, she takes marriage about as seriously as Joe Scarborough does. They're both on their third. Although, Joe didn't marry his sister. So, just saying. He's... One, it's not very often that Joe beats anybody in the not being a pig department, but 
on this one, Joe wins. Ilhan Omar's video surfaced of good old Ilhan over the weekend of her giving a speech in her native tongue. I don't know what they speak in Somalia, but whatever they speak in Somalia, that's what she was a speaking. And she made it abundantly clear that she is in Washington, D.C. to represent the interests of Somalia. Now, a Somali terrorist is caught up near well, where she lives. She represents a large Somali community. It is a very high concentration, oddly enough, up in Minnesota and in Maine. There are large concentrations of Somali refugees that we imported under Democrats. And you go, why the hell? Did they well, because they try and distribute them where they can do the most good. You sit there and you think, Somalia. And you don't think, climate-wise, very similar to Minnesota and Maine. You just don't think that because there's nothing similar about them. Except for maybe like three days in a really hot summer. But the Democrats shove them up there put them where they can do the most good, where they can be used to redistrict and gerrymander, and boom, you end up with somebody like Ilhan Omar in Congress. You put them someplace else, or you, God forbid, let them go to where they want to go, or even more, God forbid, you don't import them in the first place. And you can't do that. Anyway, the Washington Examiner has a story about good old Ilhan and her speech. Of course, it's couched the way that most of the media couches these things as sort of a Republican's pounce kind of thing. It should be just about the topic at hand, but that's the way, not the way the media works, even conservative media. So Representative Ilhan Omar was harshly criticized by conservatives on social media Sunday after a video was shared showing her speaking about her support for Somalia, the nation from which she hails, the nation from, for which she is free to return. I might add, if she so wanted to. You would think, boy, I used to live in this place. I love the place I used to live. Now I'm in a pit of racism, sexism, homophobia, trans... I hate this place. It's such a horrible place. And somebody should remind her this ain't a prison. It really, it really is not. As much as you and your friends talk about it as though it were. And how everybody with off-white skin is thrown in jail. You're not in jail. You've been thrown into Congress. Having to work with Adam Schiff and all the other handsy Democrats like Eric Swalwell, it might seem like a prison, but it's not a prison. If it sucks so bad, you're free to go. You're free to go. If your loyalty, like, oh, you're accusing her of having dual loyalty. I'm not accusing her of having dual loyalty. I'm, a, I'm accusing her of having explicitly anti-American loyalty. <laughs> so it doesn't matter who it is. It's, it's whatever side. She ain't for it. She again. Where's the U.S. on this? Oh, that I'm opposed to it. She's that type of person. So in the video, the liberal Minnesota leader was addressing a crowd in a Minneapolis hotel when she spoke about Somaliland and the unrecognized state's deal with Ethiopia, which Somalia alleges infringes on its territory. The video, shared to X, contains an English translation, which has not been verified by the Washington Examiner. However, Omar's response to the controversy lends credence to the translation being at least largely accurate. The translation includes Omar stating she's in Congress to represent Somali-Americans' interests and that the, quote, U.S. will do what we want and nothing else, end quote. 
While it appears Omar was speaking to a largely Somali-American crowd and showing support for her constituents and their motherland, see, they're far too kind. Their constituents and their mother, they're free to go back. These people did not immigrate to the United States. These people were refugees from Somalia. Refugee means your country was such a hell pit that you had to be evacuated by other countries. She grew up in a refugee camp. I don't know how she can have romantic notions about a place she fled. You know, I, I don't understand that. But that's where you are. When you, when you subscribe to identity politics to the extent that Democrats subscribe to identity politics, it doesn't matter. That you were, that you were tortured, terrorized, and run out of the country by people who look like you, who sound like you, and share a hell of a lot more in common with you than anybody you live around now. Yeah, and you go, yeah, you know what? Those are the good old days. Because at least they weren't Republicans. You just have to look at them and shake your head, don't you? You have to sit there and go, why, why would we take in any refugees? Because this is, thanks to Democrats, identity politics, thanks to the that uh, divide-to-conquer mentality that they had. They always said, Republicans, just divide, divide, divide. Well, how in the world would you explain people taken in as refugees hating this country? Well, it's because they're told to hate this country. They're told to identify with people who tormented them and chased them out of their hemisphere more so than they are here. Used to be, swear to God, true story, look it up. Because you sit there and you say, well, Derek, people always sort of drifted together, traveling, traveling. Yeah, sort of, but I think you're remembering history wrong. Little Italy, what about Little Italy? What about Chinatown? What about the, all these little enclaves in New York City back in the days of Ellis Island? Well, first of all, Ellis Island let in, like, over the course of 30 years, what Joe Biden has let in in the course of, like, three. So uh, you could kind of do that math on that one and be shocked but people moved to little italy right they came they immigrated from italy they moved to little italy you know why because they didn't really speak the language all that well do you know how long they lived in little italy they lived there long enough to learn the language they lived there just as long as they absolutely had to and then they got the hell out of there they taught their kids english they taught themselves English. They did all they could to assimilate. Chinatown, the same thing. Some business owners stayed with their businesses, but most people, including many business owners, had their businesses there because that was where the business was, but then they moved out. They assimilated. They moved on. There is none of that anymore. Assimilation is a four-letter word. Assimilation is cultural appropriation. Assimilation is cultural genocide. My God, you're a monster telling people to learn to speak the language. She's speaking to a group of refugees in the United States of America, and she's not speaking English. These are people who voted for her. These are, according to the reports, her constituents, and she can't speak English to them? Do they not speak English? Shouldn't they speak English? How many people do you know who run thriving businesses, who are a knit positive to society, a boon to the economy, if you will, who do not, who cannot 
speak English well enough to get by. Zero? I always go back to this story because it, it perfectly illustrates what the Democrats want when it comes to immigration, when it comes to the border. There was a guy, I don't know, it had to be 10 years ago now. He won a couple hundred million dollar lottery in New Jersey. He had been in the United States since 1987 or 88, something like that. He was a janitor. Nothing against janitors. You need janitors. Janitors being a janitor is a good job, depending on where you're a janitor. But he'd been in the country since the late 80s. And apparently at the time, at least, or he was just ill-advised or wildly stupid, he gave a press conference because some states, they don't allow lottery winners to remain anonymous, which is wildly stupid. It's just it's just telling the whole world, everybody who's ever met me who knows how to get in touch with me, go ahead, hit me up. Go ahead, go for it. Uh, harass me, all that stuff. But uh, he had a press conference. And at that press conference, after being in the country, let's see, it was called 87, 97, 2007, 30 years-ish, he needed an interpreter at his press conference. He'd been in the country that long, needed an interpreter at his press conference. Why? Because he came to this country legally, moved to a neighborhood where they spoke Spanish, and uh, he was probably illiterate in Spanish, but could speak it. And if you're illiterate in your own language and you're an adult, the odds of you being able to pick up another language are pretty slim. You have to at least have a comprehension of the, of the written word as well. So if you can't do that, forget it, it's over. So he'd been a janitor his whole life. Again, nothing wrong with it, but as far as economic contributions compared to the cost of communicating with him and educating, I assume, some children, whatever, and all that, which, do you, which way do you think the scale is tipped? It was definitely tipped the other way until he won the lottery. But it's just telling as this happened. So when Ilhan Omar is giving a speech to a group of her constituents in her district at a hotel, and she's doing it in another language, and she's basically swearing allegiance to a different country. That should bother everybody, but it won't. She'll be she'll be using this as a as fundraising fodder by Wednesday if she isn't doing it already. I'd play eclipse of it, but she's speaking whatever language they speak in Somalia. Responding to uh, the Republicans are attacking, Omar responded to the controversy by replying to a comment on the clip in which a researcher wrote, quote, this interpretation is slanted. Omar says she's representing the interests of Somalia in the United States, which is a legitimate task as a congresswoman in any democratic system. She says it at the end that all five territories will be liberated, but it appears rhetorical. Omar added, it's not only slanted, but completely off, but I wouldn't expect more from these propagandists. I pray for them and their sanity. No nation can survive if its states start to get involved in land lease negotiations with other countries without the consent of the federal government. Somalis in Somalia and the diaspora 
are united in that effort, and I stand in solidarity with them. No amount of harassment and lies will ever change that. Again, you really have to wonder, that's not dual loyalty. It's her first loyalty. There seems to be, to quote James Comey, no higher loyalty to her. There's a great line in the movie. uh, The movie's not for everybody. It's an independent movie. It's Adam Carolla. Either you like Adam Carolla's humor or you don't. But there's a great line in the movie The Hammer, where he's watching soccer. He's a construction worker before he becomes a boxer. And uh, he's working, he's at his friend Ozzy's house. And Ozzy's from Nicaragua, I think it is. And they're all sitting around going, Nicaragua! They're watching Nicaragua play soccer. And they go, oh, it's the greatest in Nicaragua, yay, Nicaragua. And Corolla's character goes, uh, you guys sure love Nicaragua a lot, but you leave out the fact that you all risked your lives not to live there anymore. And they all just kind of shut up. They all just kind of said, uh, well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> it's absolutely true. There is that. There shouldn't be much more than that. That is pretty much everything. Ilhan Omar, as a youngster, was adrift on the ocean, risk of drowning. We, the United States, came along as a life raft, picked her up, took her in, took care of her, elevated her to Congress, for God's sakes. And all she does is nonstop complain about this country and demonstrate loyalty to everything but. I'd say her constituents could throw her out, but maybe that's exactly what her constituents want. Maybe, maybe we should rethink the refugee program. Just saying. I suppose I'll just talk briefly about the Lions game yesterday. If you can call it this. You get the... Uh, I try as a, I don't know if you can say anybody's really a lifelong Lions fan if you're just part of the suffering group. <laughs> I'm not really a fan, but it's sort of what you were born into. Okay, it's just what you were born into. And like, all right, well, I guess we got to like this team. But you watch, I watched that game. The first half, of course, gives you that hope. And this is what makes what they do so awful and what they've done my whole life and actually since since apparently 1957 is they give you that hope they give you that that rope they give you that rug like yo look at this nice and then they rip it out from underneath you the whole throughout the whole playoffs though in fairness to the lions last night the second half play of their team has sucked in the previous two games too all their offense basically came in the first half and then they slowly watched it dwindle, but they managed to come up with a couple of plays that prevented a complete and total loss. But they couldn't against the 49ers because they don't tackle. I don't understand why, you know, do you think flinging your body at somebody who's a professional, who's, you know, and Debo Samuel, for example, you fling your your body at his legs. What's he going to do? He's going to jump over you, or you're going to he's going to you're going to bounce off of him. There's no wrapping anybody up. You get the quarterback. You got the quarterback, and you grab him up by the head and, and shoulders. And what does he do? He ducks out of it, and off he goes. This is fundamental pee wee level football stuff, and it's been their problem all year. They've managed to luck 
into victories to this point, and they just ran out of luck. And you sit there, and it's one of those things about sports where you just sit there and you go, how could you put up that many points in the first half? You, you looked unstoppable. And then you're unstartable in the second half. How does that happen? Well, the attitude, they make adjustments on defense. It doesn't matter. Nothing they did worked, and nothing they called was particularly smart. I get, I want to be aggressive and go for it on fourth down. Okay, but you're taking points off the board, leaving points off the board. Take the points. You're down by three. Tie the game. Then kick off and get a defensive stop. Don't, well, we're invincible. We're, I really thought we could make it. Well, you're an idiot then. You can make it a certain percentage of the time, but time is running out. Take the points, or at least take the shot at points, and then get your defense to stop. Shift the momentum a little bit. But what is the upside? You make it, then maybe you you know get a little further down the field. Sooner or later, they're probably going to stop. You certainly haven't had any offense to speak of to that point. But on the downside, if you don't make it, you're giving them, the team that has steamrolled you the entire second half, incredibly good field position, to march down the field and put another nail in your coffin. Which is the smarter play? You play aggressive, but you can also play smart. Instead of bad clock management, well, we're near the goal line, let's run. All right, let's basically not make it in for a yard and a half. Let's basically try to, let's run 40 seconds off the clock and then we're screwed. And then now we're required to get a an onside kick, which just doesn't work in the era of... <coughs> excuse me, of wussy football. Wussy football. You want people to get concussion? No. There aren't that many people getting concussions, but at a certain point, you just outlaw. Outlaw the onside kick. Okay? Because the, the rules that they have in place for an onside kick now, nobody can run. Nobody can run anywhere. Can't have too many men on one side of the field. You're just basically saying, we don't really want an onside kick. It's too dangerous. Well, come up with something else. Let them do a drop kick instead of a kick off a tee and see if the punter can put it 500 yards straight up in the sky 10 yards down the field and then turn it into a, a jump ball. Something. But you sure as hell don't play for that. And that seems to be what the Lions, Dan Campbell, you know, he brought him there. And people, my, I was in a bad, foul mood swearing at the TV. I don't know why my wife and kids were in the room. and Like, I'm swearing at the TV. He shouldn't be in here. So I left the room. But I was texting with my siblings and my aunt, who I think jinxed them because she said, oh, they're playing really well at the end of the first half. And I'm like, oh, you don't, don't ever acknowledge the Lions doing well when there's time on the clock because that just gives them time to let you down. But uh, there's no credit for a good season. The point of the season is to win the Super Bowl. There's no credit for, well, they made a lot of, they made a lot of improvements, but do you want a participation ribbon? These people are professionals. They're professional athletes. It is their job to do this. They failed at their jobs. I'm not saying they should be fired, although a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball should be fired and replaced with people who know how to tackle. People who understand as a former hockey player, a defenseman, you're taught, don't look at somebody's head, don't look at somebody's feet, look at their chest. 
their head can go one way and their body can go the other. Their feet can go one way, their body can go the other. They can't go anywhere without their chest. You ride their chest into the boards. Same goes for for football. You throw yourself at their legs. They can get over you. They can get around you. Wrap them up around the midsection and take them to the ground. Maybe they drag you a little bit. But if you will hold on, somebody else will get on, they'll go down. So no, there's no second place trophy. It's not like, well, they're awarding the Lombardi trophy. Now here comes the loser's trophy. We're going to give that to them. The Stanley Cup goes to the victors. The mini Stanley Cup doesn't go to the team they beat. These are professionals. I'm all for aggressive play, but for the love of God, be smart about it. And they weren't. They got a little desperate. Well, when you start playing desperate, you start choking. And that's what the Lions did. But honestly, they got further than realistically their talent warranted. Not that they can't be a good team in the future. Their offense is going pretty well. But with the defense that they have that can't tackle, they made it much further than honestly they deserved to. It would have been nice if at some point they'd have recognized that and the coach said, hey, tackle instead of flinging yourself. You notice they're bouncing off of you? Or you're bouncing off of them? But anyway, there's always next year, as we say in Detroit, it's a rebuilding century. It just continues. Shift gears a little bit here. From, well, from terrorism to terrorism, but I just I found this ironic. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez gets so much publicity. It is insane. She is a, a junior, junior member of the House of Representatives in the minority. She is the chair of nothing. She is the leader of nothing. She doesn't even have a caucus that she's the leader of. She's just a, a, a essentially an unaccomplished member, insignificant goon number 12 in the Democratic primary, except, or in the Democratic caucus, except for the fact that she has a large social media footprint. She has a large social media footprint because she's large other things, and she has a big mouth. And she's a rabid leftist. People think she's cute. And she's dumb. And she says what dumb people think. And so dumb people, since the public school system in this country churns out a lot of dumb people, they end up going, oh, she's smart. She agrees with me. It's like, um, not really how it works, but okay. People like this existed and have always existed in Congress, but they were never elevated by the media. The media used to keep these people, you know, sort of keep quiet. Don't pretend they don't exist. Let's not, you're, you're just kind of a weirdo. You're, there are 535 members of Congress, 435 members of the House. If you saw all of them, you would look and you'd think 20% of them are just weirdos. And you wonder, what was on the other side of the ballot? What was it that people didn't vote for? What was the choice between Blake Farenhold and what? Like a, a dirty gym shoe? Like what, what was it that the people looked at and said, this is the choice. This is the one. 
I'm not talking just about the general election. I'm talking about in the primary. What was the alternative that was so atrocious that they said, I'm going to go with this weirdo? Eric Swalwell goes up against what? A, a, a Kleenex somebody 12 people just blew their nose into? A hanky passed around the cold wing in a, in a waiting room somewhere? Just everybody blew their nose? Is that it? Because I can't imagine that whatever the alternative was is worse than Eric Swalwell. But good Lord, he, he fell for the honeypot with a Chinese spy fang fang. He's just genuinely dumb. He's just honest to God, genuinely dumb. And you go, this is, this is insane. How could they elect this person? It's not as though, well, he reads a good teleprompter speech or, well, in a one-on-one -on -one setting, dumb is dumb is dumb. So you look at all these people, and it's not just Democrats, it's just largely Democrats, where you're just sitting there going, how the hell did any of these people get elected? And you go, how, you wonder, how did we get in this horrible situation where the country's $34 trillion in debt? And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. We elected opportunists, smart, manipulative opportunists for leadership positions who recognize that, yes, the feces is approaching the fan at a breakneck speed, but by the time it hits it, they'll be long since dead or out of office, and they're getting so filthy rich in the interim that when the U.S. economy collapses, they will be insulated from it. If you have tens of millions of dollars, it doesn't really matter. It won't be a great day for you if the economy fails, if things go in the tank, you get hyperinflation, all this. It won't be a great, but you won't really notice it. And if things get really bad, you can get the hell out of town. You can buy a vacation home in a couple of different countries. And if you just invest a small amount of money in a lot of them, you can get yourself a passport in those countries so you can leave and never have to come back if things get really, really, really bad. And if you happen to get a, a passport from a member country of the European Union, why the possibilities are endless. You set up some overseas bank accounts, your uh, investments are accessible anywhere, and you can be gone. You are not impacted aside from the inconvenience, maybe. But things have to go really bad for that inconvenience to be a factor. Everybody else, if you're already struggling with $3 gas, if you can't afford, as the, uh, the data shows, an enormously large percentage of the American public, now this is all self-reported and maybe people don't know their finances all that well and in the middle of a survey, they just automatically assume the worst. But they say somewhere in the neighborhood of, what, 60% of people couldn't, couldn't afford a $1,000 emergency bill. We're screwed. Nobody's addressing that. Nobody's talking about that. Instead, you elect, we elect more hunts like AOC from a lot of districts around this country. Here in Maryland, you can't go. You can't even watch YouTube without. Here's David Trone. Here's David. And the B-roll is David Trone walking around the courthouse in Baltimore. Oh yeah, the Clarence Mitchell the third. I think it's the third. Maybe it's the second. 
courthouse down in Baltimore. And he just go do 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 And it, like different sides of it, different angles. Because he knows most people don't know where the hell he is. I happen to live near there. So uh, when, back in the day, I know exactly where he is. And he's just walking around and interspersed while he's walking through the streets and not talking to anybody. They intersperse black people with David Trump going, oh, yeah, you're the favorite white guy. And you go, this is the dumbest ad ever. David Trone has always been against the death penalty. Well, congratulations to David Trone. What does that have to do with anything? Who are you trying to appeal to? If they say, David, there is no death penalty in Maryland, but if there were, who would you be trying to appeal to? So if your loved one murdered somebody, vote for David Trone and he'll make sure that you'll be able to visit them for the rest of their natural born life in prison. Like, what kind of ad is that? You think, this is dumb. Is David Trone dumb or is he just trying to appeal to dumb people? He's the kind of guy who used the death, overdose death of his nephew for his political campaigns. Imagine that conversation. Hey, bro, remember that worst day of your life ever? I was thinking of running a TV ad about that because I think I can use it to my advantage. You cool with that? You're not? <laughs> well, then I got bad news for you. Don't watch TV until the election. Just sit there and you watch all of these people. David, first of all, David Trump's going to go to Washington. He's a real senator who's going to make a difference. He sends out campaign emails. Republicans are coming after me. Republicans aren't going to spend one dime against David Trump. There isn't a, well, there's one Republican in this state who would stand a chance of winning the Senate seat out of Maryland. And that's Larry Hogan. And Larry Hogan, and you sit there and go, oh, God, I don't want Larry. I'd take Larry Hogan in the Senate in a heartbeat. I, take, I don't want Larry Hogan as president of the United States, but in the United States Senate, when the alternative is any of these other worthless Democrats, I'd take Larry Hogan in an absolute heartbeat. But he has weird delusions that somehow <laughs> it's gonna, he got a chance of being a third-party nominee and having a real good run at the presidency. If he really wanted a good run at the presidency at some point in the future, in f four years or whatever... He could run for the Senate, show that he's electable again to a federal office, that he knows what the hell he's doing, and then build a name for himself on the national stage as a Republican leader in Congress, even if it's just on a couple of issues, because on most of the issues he's bad, and then earn it, plow his own lane. But he doesn't. He just kind of wants it, give it to him. He doesn't have anything better to do now. And so he wants to, he hates Trump. And that's it. I don't care that he hates Trump. I care that he hates Trump more than he seems to love anything else or stand for anything else. If he wanted a political future, he'd be running for Senate. But anyway, back to AOC. She was on um, Meet the Press with Kristen Welker. You want to talk about, my God, um, Chuck Todd, the Ginger Avenger, no longer hosts Meet the Press. You want to talk about a an insignificant tenure in meet david gregory is better remembered as a host of meet the press when david gregory left like oh, this is david gregory's last week on meet the press when tim russert died the nation all said oh man it's horrible when chuck todd left they're like wait wasn't there a guy here not that long nobody noticed nobody cared he drove that show so far into the ground christian walker isn't much better but honestly there was nowhere to go but up with chuck so Chuck is gone. She's there. And she asks about the protests of AOC against Joe Biden. Now, 
keep in mind, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez supports Joseph Robinette Biden's re-election campaign. And she, has, she, she supports the people who call him Genocide Joe. All the people, by the way, all the people running around calling Joe Biden Genocide Joe because he won't yet, he will soon, but he hasn't yet um, thrown Israel under the bus. All of those people are going to vote for him. To which you have to say, so you're, you, you're voting for genocide, right? Of course, Kristen Welker doesn't bring that up, doesn't ask that question. That's a little bit too much like work. Kristen Welker doesn't do that. But listen to this exchange about AOC talking about good old genocide Joe and the word salad she tosses in order to try and deflect from her own hypocrisy. You, some of your colleagues, and we talked about what's happened at the, the protests this week, uh, have called the president genocide Joe. Some of your colleagues have accused the president of supporting genocide, including Rashida Tlaib. Do you agree with that word genocide that the president's been supporting a genocide or does that go too far? I think what we are seeing right now throughout the country is that young people are appalled at the violence and the indiscriminate loss of life. We are not just seeing 25,000 people that have died in Gaza. We are seeing the starvation of, of millions of people, the displacement over, of over 2 million Gazans. We have South Africa that has mounted uh, a court in the ICJ. The ICJ ruled this week that Israel has a grave responsibility to prevent genocide. But they're still, they're still the determining whether it's a genocide. Do you think that they are still is determining given it. that it's still under investigation? I believe that they are, they're still determining it. But in the interim ruling, the fact that they said there's a responsibility to prevent it, the fact that this word is even in play, the fact that this word is even in our discourse, I think demonstrates the mass inhumanity that Gazans are facing. And so whether you are an individual that believes this is a genocide, which by the way, in our polling, we are seeing large amounts of Americans concerned specifically with that word. So I don't think that it is something to completely uh, toss someone out of our public discourse uh, for using. But I think what we are seeing here is that the Netanyahu government has lost public support and that we have a responsibility to protect the human rights and the humanity of Gazans right. and hostages alike in the area. Cousins and hostages. She told, and hostages. Oh, no, there's horrible attacks. and well, the dead. She doesn't mention the 1,200 dead on October 7th because she doesn't care. History began on October 8th, remember? That's when the Democratic Socialists of America staged their first anti-Israeli protest. They didn't have an accurate body count at that point. But much like any tragedy here in this country, a shooting, uh, the left immediately goes, we need gun control. We need gun, there's a typical right-winger. We need gun control. This is what happens. And then it turns out that it's some sort of trans activist weirdo who hates their parents and hates the country. And then the media goes, eh, moving on. History begins anew. Somebody hits the reset history button and that down the memory hole it goes. But I love it. They're using the word, they're even using the word genocide. Yeah. Congratulations, you're hitching your wagon to the actions of South Africa, the apartheid state that is now committing, you know, atrocities. I wouldn't necessarily call it genocide, but atrocities against white farmers. 
because they're white. Now, you know, for a long time it was reversed and we condemned it, but now we don't condemn it as a country. We condemned apartheid. We don't condemn what they're doing now down there. But AOC doesn't give a damn either. They're, the left is like, hey, uh, South Africa, you're really hanging your hat on South Africa. That's weird. That's not really all that weird. South Africa now hates the right people. South Africa now hates the people you're allowed to hate. So it's all good. But yeah, no, they brought uh, things to the International Criminal Court. Again, who cares? They brought allegations. That, you mean a country thousands of miles away that has no direct influence or interactions with it? They, they're, they're, they're complaining? They're, they were the ones chosen to be the left-wing representative of anti-Semitism in the, the International Criminal Court. Okay, great. The International Criminal Court, which is stacked with lefties, said, don't commit genocide, Israel. You have an obligation not to commit genocide, but did not say they were committing genocide. It was actually a big loss for them. But these people don't let facts stand in the way of a good story, or they're just not bright enough to understand what actually happened there. They're a group of leftists. They're on their team, and they said, yeah, we can't go so far as to say that Israel is committing genocide. That hasn't stopped the AOCs, the Rashida Tlaibs, the Ilhan Omars, the, uh, Jayapo the all of the left going, oh, genocide, 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 while supporting people who literally have it in their charter that they want to commit genocide. They literally have it in their freaking charter. We're gonna, we want to kill all the Jews. Hitler had a good idea. We want to see it through. It's not just from the river to the sea that Hamas wants to kill all the Jews, although they do. It's then wherever. We want to get the river to the sea and then set up a base of operations from which to try to kill the Jews everywhere else they are in the world because they hate Jews. <laughs> and there's AOC going, oh, Joe's in favor of genocide against uh, genocide Joe. They're all calling him genocide Joe, but I'm still going to vote for him. So you're for genocide, right? Isn't that, shouldn't that be the logical follow-up? So you're for genocide then. But no, there is no logical follow-up with these people because nothing they say or do is remotely logical. Now I want to go over to uh, other things that Grandpa Badfinger said. Because it's... <sighs> he's lost it. He's really, he's just gone. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I, I, I take no, no pleasure in this. It's actually pretty scary having a president of the United States who isn't there. Not that there are really irrational decisions, or I guess irrational is the wrong word because I think everything that liberals do is irrational, but um, there's nothing out of the ordinary. There's no, like, we're going to bomb Canada. Let's go get... Nothing like that. The, whoever his handlers are this week, they're, they're keeping him relatively in check. They're steering the ship towards a series of icebergs and what have you, but they're not, again, going to go and invade Spain because why not? Or we're going to, we've decided to bomb Ecuador. Why? Because we can. They looked at me funny. I saw an episode of Murder, she wrote, in a crossover with Matlock where, uh, there was something really bad happening and we're going to go to war with uh, Guatemala over that. No, we haven't had that. But in a way, not worse, but different, just as bad as we really don't know who is actually in charge. 
Because it can't be Joe. It's just not Joe. I mean, let's be honest. It's just not Joe. He doesn't have the mental capacity to do it. And so who is running this show is a mystery. Something that should bother everybody. Over, uh, well, he's been, um, he gave a speech over the weekend. I don't even know what the hell the speech was supposed to be about. It was a rambling thing that touched on a bunch of topics. I think it was a campaign event, but it's hard to tell. See, when the president of the United States does this, they can control, the White House controls who's there. If it's a policy speech, it's always people who agree with the policy. We'll get, well, it's a speech about this issue. So we'll get professionals from this issue. We'll find the union that follows this issue that is in this industry. And they'll fill us up with a whole bunch of people who support the president. Like, okay, well, that's, that's what they do. The campaign does the same thing. So it's not as though he's just stumbled into a room full of people. A random group of people so that they might be studied to get an honest reaction. No, it is a hand-selected group of people. So you have the president up there giving a speech, and he gets on the topic of the border. He talks about this border deal that they are trying to cobble together with well, Chuck Schumer and squishy Republicans. There are a lot of squishy Republicans when it comes to the border. When it comes to the Chamber of Commerce, or as what it was called when I worked up on Capitol Hill, the Chamber of Compromise, everybody always says, oh, they're, uh, they're conservative, they're right-wing, they're big business. They're not. They're not at all. They want cheap labor. They want people coming into the country and depressing wages because their membership benefits from depressed wages or wages that don't rise as fast as they should. So you sit there and you go, eggs have gone up 40% and my pay has only gone up 2%. What the hell? Well, thanks. Thank an open border Democrat or the Chamber of Compromise. So the... Republican squishes and the Democrats are trying to come up with a deal that will grant amnesty to what they say is 6 million people. 6 million people. They don't want to give them citizenship right away, but they want to make sure that they don't have to live in the shadows, which is ironic considering that they moved into the shadows. They expressly moved into the shadows. You know, why, would you, why do you want to move them out of the shadows when you moved them into the shadows? I didn't. Well, if they if they moved into the shadows, they must want to be in the shadows, right? I say leave them in the shadows. But they also want, in exchange for the amnesty, which is the first step in the yellow brick road to the pathway to citizenship and voting, then Joe Biden, and only then, will take action on the border. Now, what's really funny is they set these benchmarks, really bizarre benchmarks, that if a certain number of people cross the border in a given day, then Joe Biden will have the power to shut down the border. Something like 8,500 people or something. like 8,500 people coming across. Now, we're getting ten to 12,000 a day now. 
So they don't have to pump the brakes that hard to stay below that threshold to keep the flow going. The problem isn't the raw number of people, although that's a problem. The problem is that any people are coming across the border illegally because the people coming across the border, even if they come here with the best of intentions, are, like I said, depressing wages, being a drain on governments, and they're drinking drugs. A lot of them are criminals. Many of them are members of the uh, of terrorist groups, the terror watch list and what have you. Now, if you say, well, we've been letting in, or pe five people on the terror watch list have been getting in per week, but under this plan, only two would get in. We'll only allow two. Uh, is that a good deal? Is that a good? It's not a good deal. It's a pretty bad deal. Why would you let any in? How about you don't let any in? How about you cut a instead of saying you can only enforce the border security when you have a deal? There's nothing preventing you from doing it now. There is honestly nothing preventing you from doing it now. Day one, January 20th, 2021. This is a headline from WhiteHouse.gov, the press briefing room, a press release. Quote, proclamation on the termination of emergency with respect to the southern border of the United States and redirection of funds diverted to border wall construction. Yeah, Day one, his top priority was get rid of that border. Let's get rid of the emergency that helped seal that border. And let's get rid of all the money and all the, we just let the material rot there that is related to a border wall. Day two, matter of fact, this is from government executive, January 21st, 2021, the Texas Tribune headline, Biden administration pauses deportation for 100 days and suspends remain in Mexico for a policy for asylum seekers. Joe Biden ran on this promise. What has happened to the border is a direct result of those two sets of actions on those two days. So for Joe Biden to get up and give a speech, and go, well, I'd do it if we just to get me into power, is a lie. Now, is it really a lie if the person delivering the lie is so senile they don't realize they're lying? I don't know. We can argue that. But his handlers know. So I want you to listen to Joe Biden here say that he'd shut down that border. He would shut, boy, he would never have a more secure border. The history of borders. If Republicans would just let him keep the sweet, 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 nourishing illegal aliens he already has. But also give me as president the emergency authority to shut down the border until it could get back under control. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. If that bill were a law today, I'd shut, I'd shut down the border and fix it. Why don't you shut down the border now? Why, why don't you do that? Even if he didn't have the power, which he does have the power. He's the one who ended the emergency declaration. He could easily declare a new one, but he doesn't even need to do that, actually, to seal the border, to make sure that people are deported, that are not allowed into the country, whatever. You could shut it all down. But even if he didn't have that power, is there anything about the Biden administration that leads anybody to think that this guy is really somebody who's a stickler for the law? 
And boy, howdy, when the law is clear on something, he just just won't budge from that. No, this is a guy who decided whole cloth on his own, I can forgive student loans and declared it to be. And then the Supreme Court said, you, you can't do that. And so he did what? He spent the next year bitching about what the Supreme Court did. And then he started finding ways to circumvent the Supreme Court ruling. Technicalities. We can shut a, slice off this group here. We can slice off that group there. We can do this. We, he's doing it piecemeal. Expressly against the orders of the Supreme Court. So spare me that this is a guy who's going, oh, geez, if only I could do this, but I'm not allowed to do this. All those meanies in robes over there aren't allowing me to do these nice things, or otherwise I'd totally do the nice things. Nobody's stopping him from doing anything. He actually already has the authority. He's stopping himself from doing that because he doesn't want that done. He's pretending that he'd do it. Oh, I'd shut it down. I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Well, why wouldn't you? It's it's actually Tuesday, Joe. Why don't you just go buy a hamburger? I meant next Tuesday. I meant next Tuesday. Don't worry. I mean, next week. Come on, just give me the money. Let me do it. Anybody believe this guy? Anybody believe this guy? He is the reason this problem exists. During the campaign, I want you to surge to the border. Oh, okay, that... Sounds an awful lot like encouraging people to storm into the country, doesn't it? I want you to surge to the border. Anyway, <clears throat> he could do all of this. He won't do all of this. He won't do any of this. He doesn't care. Instead, he's out there cursing and whining and moaning about Donald Trump in every other way. Humanly possible, Donald Trump is the monster when realistically every problem, you can hate Donald Trump personally all you want. And I'm not going to be able to talk you out of it. It doesn't matter. There are a lot of things, personally, I don't like about Donald Trump as a person. But I didn't elect him, my brother, my cousin. I elected him president. And I'll vote for him again for president if he ends up being the nominee, which he probably will be. I don't care what he does personally as long as he's not ripping people off. And I have seen nothing to suggest that he's anywhere near the criminal or a criminal at all. It's weird. You notice how many people who have gone after Donald Trump ended up being ruined themselves? How many people in media, the whole Me Too movement, the Cuomo brothers, so many other Democrats have just been exposed to be these horrible hypocritical frauds about Donald Trump. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, he's a corrupt, he's corrupt, blah, 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 he's gotten richer. Uh, there's only one person in that equation between Trump and Biden who's actually gotten rich off their public service, and it sure as hell isn't Donald Trump. But he's a convenient boogeyman for stupid people. Like I say, there's plenty of reasons to dislike him personally, but you can't point to anything he's done illegally, being charged. He's been charged with... He's been accused... Of, yeah, he has. He's been accused of all sorts of things. I could accuse you of anything under the sun. Where's the evidence? Where's the conviction? Well, what about E. Jean Kelly? It's a civil case, and it was about defamation. It had nothing to do with anything legal. Well, it's legal. the legal system, you know what I mean. 
got Fannie Willis down in Georgia and her little concubine boyfriend. That's fallen all apart. What a disaster. Is there anybody coming out of this thing that doesn't look like a complete hypocrite? The special counsel is charging Donald Trump with mishandling classified documents. Joe Biden had more for longer. That's different. It's different when Joe does it. He actually kept them, and Trump kept them in a secure area. Joe kept them near his Corvette, which he kept open all the time because his junkie son had access to the house. Well, there's reason to believe his junkie son used some of that information in those documents to make himself richer. Uh, but uh, what about Trump? And so Joe Biden over the weekend during that same speech where he's talking about the border, he's talking about everything. It was one tangent after another. It was insane. It was a rant that somebody in the dementia wing of the nursing home would expect to hear from their flatmate screaming at a houseplant. Arguing with a houseplant. And the houseplant wins against Joe Biden. He goes back to, God, it had to be five years ago now. When Joe Biden, or when Donald Trump, President Trump, was in Normandy, was in France, he was actually in France, in Paris, for the anniversary of the D-Day invasion, and the president, the Secret Service recommended against going to the ceremony at Normandy. It was, I think there was a big conf- international conference there, but it happened to coincide with D-Day. And the Secret Service advised against going to the memorial up in Normandy because the weather was bad. They couldn't take the helicopter. The weather was not conducive to taking Marine One. It was not fun. It couldn't really justify or whatever. It wasn't doable, feasible to take Air Force One for that short of a flight, the hassle and cost. And the other alternative was to drive, but it was like a two-hour drive, and they don't drive the president for two hours. They just don't. So they said, you can't go. The weather's, it's rainy, it's overcast and everything. And so they didn't go. Well, the Atlantic came up with a story. It was a crock. Ted, Donald Trump said, why would I want to go up to Normandy? It'll mess up my hair this weather. I don't like people who die. These soldiers who died, they're suckers who died in the invasion of Normandy. All this, it, just, it was just ridiculous. It was so stupid as to be laughable on its face. But if you are a regular MSNBC viewer, you are ready to believe the worst about anybody with an R after their name, especially if it's Donald Trump. So the Atlantic ran with it. It was written by their editor-in-chief, and Jeffrey Greenberg, I think his name is, and uh, uh, Goldberg, Jeffrey Goldberg. And uh, it became gospel with the left, even though literally everybody who was in a position to know anything, including uh, General Milley, who was chief of staff at the time, I think, who didn't like Donald Trump. He was at the time of this event, but not at the time of the story. Who didn't like Donald Trump, doesn't like Donald Trump, said this story is garbage, this never happened, nothing close to this. Game. It's on the record. Everybody literally who could know was on the record saying this didn't happen. The Atlantic stood by the story because what's the consequence? It's an anonymous source, so they can't really be sued for anything. It's a public figure. They're, they're golden on this. Well, Joe Biden, the only place this lie lives is MSNBC and in Joe Biden's speechwriter's head. Joe Biden repeats this lie, repeated this lie over the weekend, and he added to it. He's talking about the soldiers, the American soldiers who died during the D-Day invasion, and he lumps his son Bo into there. 
he has often had his son Bo die in all sorts of places where he didn't die. He died in a hospital here in Washington, D.C., I think, um, of brain cancer. Terrible, terrible circumstance. But he died stateside years after his short service in Iraq. But Joe has had him die in combat and in a war zone about 50 different times while president of the United States. He didn't. Families whose family members die in war zones don't get a chance to say goodbye. Joe had ample chance to say goodbye. Not that you ever want to, but it was, again, a stateside hospital. But listen to Joe lump in Bo with the Normandy invasion. Donald Trump, when he was commander-in-chief, refused to visit a cemetery, U.S. cemetery, outside of Paris for fallen American soldiers. And he referred to those heroes, and I quote, as suckers and losers. He actually said that. He said that. How dare he say that? How dare he talk about my son and all of us dressed like that? Your son wasn't in Normandy, dude. Your son never saw combat. Your son was a JAG officer who served in the green zone in Iraq for, I think, nine months, which is shorter than almost any other deployment I've ever heard of for anybody who wasn't injured in combat. But he repeats the lie. No one's going to call him out on the lie. There's no point in calling. Why would, why would you call out? Do you think the Astros, the other Astros were calling out? The yeah, Astro players are like, they're banging on garbage cans to, to let people know some off-speed stuff. No, they were all in on it. He might not know he's lying, but his handler sure as hell do. And he knows full well the circumstances of his son's death. He says it was one of the most formative moments of his life. If he doesn't remember that, we're really screwed. Which means he just lies about it constantly because he thinks he can get glory by proxy or something, which is a special kind of evil, I think. In the last few minutes that we have left, I want to play you something just to demonstrate, because you've got this situation with the border down in Texas. Texas, Joe Biden blinked, by the way. Uh, you need, you got a deadline by noon on, well, I mean, not so much. And being a passive-aggressive uh, jerk that Joseph Robinette Biden is and has been his entire life, rather than directly, I don't know, send in... He de they don't want the optics. Like I said, he never thought that he'd win that case. He wanted to complain about the Supreme Court, and it went the other direction. It's like, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? Because the optics of the federal government going in and cutting the razor wire on the southern border are just terrible optics for Joe Biden. He's already way underwater on the border, so he doesn't want to do that. He'd much rather have the uh, Texas National Guard do it, but they ain't going to do it. They kept throwing down more razor wire. So Joe Biden just kind of didn't do anything. He let his deadline pass. But being the passive-aggressive person that he is, then went on to ban liquid natural gas exports out of the United States in the name of the environment. They want to study it, so they say. Liquid na now, liquefied natural gas, is the Texas is the biggest producer of natural gas in the United States and the fifth largest producer of natural gas on the planet, if it were its own country. They are shipping it largely to Europe, our European allies, remember that word, allies, uh, who are otherwise, if they don't get it, dependent on Russia 
for energy. The Biden administration, I thought Russia was a bad guy, was a bad operator, but no, the president wants to damage Texas for daring to make him look bad. So they announced that they were ending these exports in the name of the environment. They're going to study it. Don't worry. It might not be permanent, but for now. Now this placates the rabid left too, by the way, who hates modern civilization and business. So the climate czar, Biden's climate czar, a guy named Ali Zadi, Z-A-I-D-I, was at the White House podium, asked about this. I want you to listen to his answer, see if you can make sense of it. It's a pretty straightforward question. You'll hear the question. And then ask yourself if he, A, answers the question, or B, you have any idea whatsoever what the hell he's talking about. Can you share the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that this rule would cut in the short term? Can you detail that in any specific way for people to understand? That's a really, I think that's part of what this uh, review is all about, is to understand what are the implications of LNG. Um, We've started to learn more about leakage rates at different parts of the supply chain, upstream, midstream, downstream. We've started to learn a lot about what happens to uh, LNG as it's chilled and then shipped uh, overseas. Um, We're also seeing major shifts in uh, the demand for this product. What is it backing out on the other end? Um, You think about a lot of our allies and partners who use that LNG today actually are on a trajectory to back out that demand, uh, to replace it with things like clean energy and energy efficiency. So this will take all of those factors in and hopefully uh, produce a uh, an answer that helps us answer this uh, this really important question. <laughs> well, I, 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 we're going to look at it and hopefully it will produce an answer that will help us answer that question. So you don't know. You just say you don't know. You just say you're just doing it. Say you're looking at it and you go, well, we hate Texas. That's why we're doing this. God, I hate Texas. Why? Because they defied the president. And as such, we just want to screw them over. This will screw them over. That's why we're doing it. At least, you know, to be honest, to be truthful. Now I want to play you really quickly, the vice president of the United States. Leave you on this one. Tongue twister, word salad, mess that Kamala Harris talks. She's trying to talk about Christianity. She's trying to talk about redemption. I I don't think she's a theologian. Let's just leave it at that. See if you can make sense of this. I do believe in a very fundamental principle, and it transcends religions, but it is an age-old concept, and it is the concept of redemption, which is the notion and the understanding that all people will make a mistake. And yes, there must be accountability, especially when it involves the commission of a crime when it involves anything that might hurt another person. Of course there must be accountability. But is it not the sign of a civil society to allow people the ability to come back and earn their way back? <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, here is Amen. Go read your readings tonight are Corinthians 7 through 22. And 
Yeah, I don't I don't really think a woman, a person, anybody who got their start in politics the way Kamala got her start in politics, look it up, Willie Brown, really going to be all that great on theology. But you know what? Why not toss a word salad? Because reasons. God help us all. I suppose that's enough for today. Look up, yeah, Kamala, Willie Brown. Willie, Willie, Willie. Willie being the operative part of that. Willie Brown's been married for a very long time, but Mrs. Willie Brown doesn't want to doesn't want to deal with Willie Brown. So as long as somebody else is, I don't think she cares. Anyway, have a great what the hell is it? It's Tuesday. We'll be back to do it again on Wednesday already. Freaking awesome! Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.